0: Voters have heard a lot about the two candidates running for governor in New York, Democrat Kathy Hochul, who is seeking a full term in office, and Republican Congressman Lee Zeldin. But their running mates have not received as much attention. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt takes a closer look now at Democrat and former Congressman Antonio Delgado and former police captain Allison Esposito, who's running on the Republican ticket.
1: In New York, candidates for lieutenant governor do not run separately in the general election. They come as part of a ticket with the candidate in their party who's running for governor. But as the potential number two elected official in the state and first in line to succession as governor, it's worth paying attention to them. In the past 14 years, two lieutenant governors have suddenly found themselves taking over the state's top executive post when the past two elected governors resigned in disgrace. David Patterson replaced former Governor Elliot Spitzer, who exited in a prostitution scandal. And Governor Kathy Hochul, just over a year ago, was the state's lieutenant governor until Andrew Cuomo resigned over multiple scandals in August of 2021. My selection for the new lieutenant governor of the state of New York, Congressman Antonio Delgado. <laughs> Antonio Delgado, who left his seat in Congress representing a district in the Hudson Valley to become lieutenant governor, was not Hochul's first choice. Hochul, shortly after becoming governor last year, chose State Senator Brian Benjamin for the number two post. But Benjamin was forced to resign just seven months later after he was indicted by federal prosecutors and accused of participating in a bribery scandal involving campaign donations.
2: It's just an honor to be able to stand here with you
3: and do this work together.
1: Delgado, who is of African-American and Cape Verdean descent, grew up in Schenectady. He attended Oxford University on a Rhodes Scholarship and graduated from Harvard Law School. He then lived in New York City for a time before running successfully for the congressional seat. He's married with two twin eight-year-old sons. Delgado agrees with Hochul that abortion rights need to be protected in New York after the recent U.S. Supreme Court Dobbs ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade. Here he is speaking at a rally at the state capitol organized by Planned Parenthood in May, shortly after the leaked draft Supreme Court opinion that led to the overturning of Roe in June.
2: There's something about the time that we're living in right now where it feels like all of the things that people before us have sacrificed and shed blood and marched and protested for is being relitigated.
1: He also backs gun control measures, including the state's recently approved law regulating the carrying of concealed weapons, as well as stronger red flag laws to help prevent mass shootings and other gun violence.
4: Your next,
3: Lieutenant Governor, Allison Esposito.
1: Allison Esposito, a 25-year veteran of the New York Police Department, is Republican Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin's running mate. She's a graduate of the City University of New York's John Jay College of Criminal Justice, as well as the FBI National Academy. Esposito was the commander of a precinct in Brooklyn as well as a deputy inspector before retiring in July to campaign full-time. Her priority issue is fighting the violent crime spike that began during the pandemic. She wants to repeal the state's 2019 criminal justice reforms, including an end to most forms of cash bail. She says she saw the negative results of that law firsthand.
3: My officers going out
5: every day interacting with some of the most violent criminals, repeat offenders, arresting individuals with loaded illegal firearms on their waistband, sometimes two, three, and four times, same criminals. And those perpetrators were back in the precinct collecting their property to go home before my officers were even done processing the arrest.
1: Esposito says Republicans need to be elected to repeal those laws, and she backs Zeldin's proposal to declare a crime state of emergency on his first day as governor and temporarily suspend the bail reform and other criminal justice laws. If elected, Esposito would be the first openly gay lieutenant governor in New York. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
0: In New York's 21st Congressional District incumbent Republican Elise Stefanik faces Democrat Matt Costelli. Among the biggest issues cropping up in the waning days of the campaign, lack of debates. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more.
5: Ratings experts say Stefanik, the number three House Republican, is very likely to win re-election November 8th in the Northern New York District. Stefanik has yet to debate her Democratic opponent, Matt Castelli, a former CIA officer and National Security Council counterterrorism director in the Obama and Trump administrations. During an interview on WAMC on October 24th, Castelli expressed his disappointment.
3: We agreed to four that were offered to us by various outlets across this district, and Stefanik refused to agree to those. And it's a real disservice, not to me, but to voters. Voters deserve the opportunity to hear from their incumbent representative and her challenger about their priorities, uh, as well as to be held accountable for their record of either results or failure. And in this regard, Congresswoman Stefanik has refused to allow herself to be held accountable.
5: One of the debates was to be held on NBC5. During a rally hosted by Stefanik in Saranac Lake on October 22nd, she was confronted by anchor Brian Colloran about her refusal to participate.
2: Why haven't you taken a debate with Matt Costelli?
5: I've debated more than any other
1: candidate in modern history in this district. It is unacceptable that the media has allowed there to be a primary with no Democrat debate.
3: We've never got a return of a phone call. We never got a return of an email.
1: Your station went ahead and scheduled a debate on a date that
5: I'm in Herkimer County and have been committed to being a keynote speaker. The NBC affiliate conducted a 20-minute interview with Castelli in lieu of a debate. Following the Saranac Lake rally, Stefanik told Mountain Lake PBS she is running on her record of results for the district. I have a very strong record of keeping my promises to this district, whether it's delivering over $5 million of VA
1: benefits or whether it's my advocacy on northern border issues. I have a very strong record when it comes to standing up for the Constitution. What I hear from my constituents is people are struggling under single party Democrat leadership. In both Washington and Albany so we have a lot of work ahead of us and I'm running not only on my record of results but strong leadership
5: to deal with those issues. Castelli, meanwhile contends voters have lost faith in Stefanik and are looking for a moderate candidate after Stefanik embraced former President Trump and backed efforts to overturn his election
3: defeat. They're concerned that Congresswoman Stefanik certainly since the 2020 election has made a hard pivot towards ultra-magaism. And a lot of folks are are quiet quitting, at least Stefanik. This race is a referendum on Congresswoman Stefanik's failure to deliver real results for our community. She's only passed two bills into law during eight years in Congress. She has been perpetrating this falsehood, this fraud, that she's delivering results for our district, but they're actually coming from bills that she voted against. I'm very optimistic.
5: Stefanik is seeking her fifth two-year term. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley.
0: You are listening to the Legislative Gazette a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. On this week's Capital Connection program, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok spoke with George Latimer, Westchester County executive.
6: What's your sense of who will come out on top in New York? Gubernatorial race between Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin. I take it you think Kathy Hochul will prevail. I
4: do. Uh, I think it is. It's much closer race than was originally predicted. And uh, I have to credit the fact that the Republicans, the campaign, not just for governor, but elsewhere, they've done a very good job of positioning a couple of key issues. And and in fairness, you know, many Democrats uh, did not recognize that these were key issues early enough on in the process. Uh, And those would be the issues of the economic impact uh, of what's happening in the society with inflation and the potential recession and the fear of crime. Now, in Westchester County, crime is down when you compare 2022 to 2017. But the fear of crime mm. is framed by what they see on television. And they see some an incident of an horrific crime, and it, it could be somewhere else. It could be in Chicago. It could be in New York City. It could be anywhere. It's not in your backyard. But you fear it now, and you believe that one party is soft on crime and the other party is tough on crime. So credit the Republicans for positioning themselves that well. As a Democrat, we fully funded the police, and we have a very aggressive crime-fighting effort. But, you know, uh, that doesn't break through the media. So I think on on the broader positioning, the Republicans have made all of these races much more competitive by marketing themselves very well. And some of the other issues that are on the table, such as, you know, uh, denying that the election of 2020 was a legitimate election and uh, propagating a big lie, the insurrection of January 6th, those stories, which are important stories, have not gotten the same attention by the electorate when they're thinking about their pocketbook and whether they're safe. However, with all of that, there are far more Democrats in New York than there are Republicans, I think Kathy Hochul is uh, uh, is seen as a positive figure. She's a a, a different type of person, uh, not just the first woman, but much more low-key, much more friendly to deal with, and I think she's going to wind up winning. But it is a close race and a competitive race. I think uh, the Democrats are worried, rightfully so, about holding the House of Representatives. Uh, I don't know that we will, and I tend to think that it's going to take some good luck Mm. for us to do that. The The U.S. Senate's up for grabs. As much as I read about it, it could go either way. Um, And I do think we're heading to lose some seats in both houses of the state legislature. I think Democrats will maintain control in both houses. But uh, there's some people I know, good people, that are going to uh, lose. Some of it is attributable to the redistricting plan, which we've talked about, you've talked about, with a lot of guests. Uh, And that redistricting plan that was imposed by the mapmaker out of Pittsburgh Uh, created uh, a whole different world of New York politics.
6: So let's talk a little bit about something that is very unpleasant, and that is physical attacks on politicians. Have you ever been threatened? Has anybody ever come after you? Have you ever gotten a phone call which threatened you or your family? This is not a good sign. It's true. I've
4: gotten a few uh, threats. I don't know how credible they were. Uh, When you get a threat in the mail, Um, You know, that's at one level of concern uh, when you get a threat where somebody looks like they want to rumble with you in person. I must say, Alan, you may be able to relate to this, too. When I was a younger man. Yes, I'm quite uh, a fighter. I haven't faced anything like Paul Pelosi did. But I do think what's happened to the society is that people who hold extreme views, it's true on the far left. But it's very true on the far right that they're reaching a point at which they're prepared to do physical violence to accomplish their end. They're not content that the ballot box will decide, that perhaps the bullet box will decide. And I do worry about that. I don't worry about it as much personally. But I do think that there are people that are being ginned up on purpose to be aggressive in a way that is inappropriate in a small democracy. But that can lead to personal violence.
0: Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok speaking with Westchester County Executive George Latimer. are listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. When you go to cast your ballot in this year's midterm election, remember to flip it over. On the back, you'll see Proposition 1, which asks New Yorkers whether the state should borrow $4.2 billion for environmental projects. If approved, that money would be spent in the coming decades on reducing flood risks, mitigating the effects of climate change, and preserving land around the state. North Country Public Radio's Emily Russell Reporting for the Legislative Gazette has more.
7: New York state is definitely not immune to climate change. Extreme weather events like Hurricanes Sandy and Irene have pummeled the state in the last few decades. Temperatures are rising. But Peter Bauer says New York has the chance to become a leader and even a haven in the face of climate change.
6: People are going to look at upstate New York with all of these trees, with all of this water, with this pastoral landscape,
2: with the Adirondack and Catskill Park and the Hudson Valley, and they're going to be like, my God,
6: upstate New York is a paradise on Earth.
7: Bauer is the executive director of Protect the Adirondacks, a green group in the park. Like others, including the Nature Conservancy and Environmental Advocates of New York, Bauer's group is urging New Yorkers to vote yes on Proposition 1 to approve the $4.2 billion Environmental Bond Act. If it passes, the money will be doled out to communities across the state. A billion and a half to build green infrastructure and things like cooling centers. Another billion would be used to restore waterways and reduce flood risks. There's $650 million for water infrastructure projects and another $650 million for land preservation, which Peter Bauer says is critical.
6: Every
2: year, the developed parts of New York State gets bigger and bigger. The amount of land that's under asphalt grows year after year. So, you know, protecting land is really doing a favor for future generations.
7: But not everyone feels that way. Brian Wells is the supervisor of Hamilton County. He's also the town supervisor of Indian Lake. He says Adirondack towns like his struggle to grow and prosper because of how much surrounding land the state already owns. Think about Indian Lake as a pie chart, Wells says.
6: Every time the state buys something, it increases the forest reserve, or somebody donates it, or it's endowed, or it's purchased by a land trust. It just makes that pie that much smaller and that much harder for us.
7: Wells says the state should focus on managing the land it already owns, like building and maintaining trails and hiring more forest rangers. While he is grateful for the millions in state funding his and other Adirondack towns get for things like new wastewater treatment plants, Wells thinks adding $4.2 billion to the state's debt doesn't make financial sense. Do you plan to vote for the Environmental Bond Act?
6: To be honest, no. I'll be voting no.
7: Another person who has expressed concern about the Bond Act is Dan Steck. He's a Republican state senator who represents a big portion of the Adirondacks. Here he is in a recent debate with his Democratic challenger Gene Lapper.
0: I have my doubts whether or not it's going to make a difference um, or if it's just going to check some boxes for people to feel good about saying they support the environment. I don't think it's going to be efficiently used and I'm I'm afraid it's going to get um, wasted
7: or squandered. But advocates say there will be plenty of oversight, especially if the money is used to match federal funding for projects. Plus, they say it's better to build up resilient infrastructure now than after a major storm.
1: It's a lot more expensive to go backwards and fix a problem than it is to create
7: the resilience up front. That's Kelly Tucker. She's the executive director of the Ausable River Association, which repairs erosion and restores rivers, lakes and streams in the Adirondacks. Tucker says there's a lot in the Bond Act she likes, including the fact that 35% of the money must benefit disadvantaged communities around the state. That means funding projects in poorer communities, places facing particular threats like pollution and storm surges. Tucker is hopeful that New Yorkers will vote to invest in green energy, more public lands, and more resilient communities. But she says the details of how that money is delivered really matter. The question is how is it going to be implemented? If it's passed, how is that money going
1: to come to small communities, to marginalized communities? Is that money going to be easy to use or is it going to be hard to use?
7: Tucker says those are critical pieces of the puzzle. But first, New Yorkers need to decide whether or not they support the $4.2 billion Environmental Bond Act. So remember, when you go to vote, don't forget to flip over your ballot.
0: North Country Public Radio's Emily Russell Reporting for the Legislative Gazette. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York voters are deciding who should be the state's chief financial officer on Tuesday, a longtime figure in state government or a political newcomer. The Legislative Gazette's Ashley Humphill reports.
8: Republican Paul Rodriguez is running to unseat New York State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, a Democrat who has held the position since 2007. The Comptroller manages the state's retirement fund, reviews state contracts, and oversees audits of state and local government spending. A former assemblyman, DiNapoli was appointed to the post after his predecessor resigned under a cloud. Voters have backed DiNapoli ever since. He says he helped restore integrity and credibility to the office.
6: We have put together a great team that has discharged the important responsibilities of controller, following the money, providing important oversight. We've uh, managed our pension fund very well. We're uh, among the best funded of all the state pension plans uh, in the country, so that's good news for our retirees, current and future, and for taxpayers as well.
8: Rodriguez is a global financier who wants to use the office to fight corruption, which the Republican says DiNapoli has failed to do.
2: During the 15 years that he's been controller, there has been one of the worst waves of corruption in state government. He's the type of person who has a wide reputation of being a nice guy, but unfortunately part of the reason why he's got this reputation is because they know he's not going to rock the boat, He's not going to stick his neck out too much. So he's willing to punch down in terms of going after petty corruption, but largely has turned a blind eye eye to corruption at the highest level.
8: Recent polling by Siena College Research Institute shows DiNapoli with a 14-point lead. A Republican has not been elected a state comptroller since Edward Regan in 1990. Siena also found more than two-thirds of likely voters didn't know enough to have an opinion about DiNapoli, who's now been in statewide office for more than 15 years. Rodriguez said the comptroller yields enormous power over the state's $220.5 billion budget and said he would better use the seat as a bully pulpit to shine a light on the state's financial issues.
2: I believe one of the jobs of the comptroller is risk management. Uh, one of the ways that you can prevent corruption from sort of continuing to be ingrained, particularly this, this insipid pay-to-play that has been going on for decades, is to really put it front and center in front of people and and let those elected officials know that as controller, you are going to be shining a light on anything that could be untoward.
8: During his time in office, DiNapoli has seen his powers diminished. Arguing it would make government more efficient, then-Governor Andrew Cuomo weakened the comptroller's pre-audit authority for some state contracts and spending. Earlier this year, The state legislature passed a bill to restore that power, but Governor Kathy Hochul has not yet signed the bill. The Democrat did not commit to signing the legislation during the only gubernatorial debate hosted by Spectrum News.
1: I'm in conversations with the controller as we speak about the, the levels. Obviously, there's certain parameters that are in place. We think we can negotiate a position that recognizes that inflation is out there, so something that may be worth 50,000 10 or 12 years ago has a different price point. So
8: we are actually having conversations to make sure that people do feel comfortable, that we restore the oversight system. DINAPLEY SAYS THE BILL HAD OVERWHELMING SUPPORT IN THE STATE LEGISLATURE AND RESTORES POWERS BACK TO WHERE THEY WERE FOR DECADES.
6: FROM MY PERSPECTIVE, THE LEGISLATION uh, IS IN GREAT SHAPE AND THE GOVERNOR SHOULD SIGN IT. OBVIOUSLY, uh, IF THEY WANT TO DISCUSS, I THINK WHAT SHE INDICATED IS SOME DISCUSSION ABOUT uh, TALKING ABOUT SOME OF THE THRESHOLDS, YOU KNOW, ULTIMATELY, THAT'S GOING TO HAVE TO BE NEGOTIATION WITH THE SENATE AND THE ASSEMBLY AND THE GOVERNOR. So. Um, It'd be nice if that would get done sooner than later Uh, perhaps it's going to have to wait till after the election but I don't think there's any uh, need for any dramatic change in the legislation that's uh, already uh, been approved as I said I think it's in fine shape to be signed the way it is but if the Senate and the Assembly feel that um, any proposed chapter amendments would be appropriate without diluting the intent of uh, what they've passed, you know, I'm sure that's something that we could work with them on.
8: Rodriguez says he believes Denapoli should be doing more to have those powers restored.
2: There were other powers that were taken away as a result of the emergency declaration during COVID, but as soon as that emergency declaration goes away, those powers should by default be restored.
8: During an interview with New York Now, Republican Congressman and gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin said the state needs a multi-year budget instead of annual plans.
3: In many respects, if you know, if it's education dollars. The timing lines up where a school district has to finalize their budget because it's coming out for a vote, and they don't even know how much education dollars they're going to get. Right. They should not only already know how much education aid they're going to get the next school year, they should actually have a pretty good idea how much school aid they're probably going to be getting the year after that and year after that and year after that so that they can do long-term planning. So multi-year budgeting is something that we need to get into the practice of.
8: The state budget is due April 1st of each year. Both candidates said they would be open to multi-year budgeting. DiNapoli said long-term budgeting is a good strategy.
6: I think that's one of the challenges we have with New York's uh, budget process that we've had for a long time. It, it's, it becomes all about closing a budget deal, often last minute, often without much transparency or public discussion, and not enough consideration of long-term implications of spending decisions that are being made today that have, have a, a growing impact in the out years. So. I think anything to encourage more longer-term consideration of how we're managing our budgets, I think that's a good idea.
8: Rodriguez agrees and has another idea.
2: Every year, the base budget is zero. It's not simply last year, this was my budget, so this year that's my default, and then I'm going to add on top of it. No, every year you would need to justify every item every dollar that you're going to spend. So one year, maybe you need 100. The next year is 150. The next year could be 75. It isn't just simply a default, okay, it was 100. Now it's 120. Then it's 125. Then it's 130, and so on and so on. And this is something that can be done on a large scale because the Marine Corps, um, certain parts of the Marine Corps implemented um, zero-based budgeting, and it resulted in, in very significant savings uh, for the Marine Corps. I mind you, we're talking Department of Defense. They're not exactly known for being frugal with their money.
8: As economists warn of a potential looming recession, both candidates also shared concerns about the state's economic future. DiNapoli said there is a fair amount of uncertainty surrounding the issue, but added as tax collections continue to come in ahead of projections, the 2022-23 budget should hold together.
6: Depending on where the economy is headed over the next couple of months, I do think we we all need to be more cautious and lower expectations as we head into the next budget cycle, which actually starts very soon.
8: Rodriguez says the state's current situation is unstable, adding budget gaps should not be closed by raising taxes.
2: Look at what's not even being talked about or considered, which is spending cuts. We are in a situation where we already have the highest taxes in the nation here in New York. We have a cost of living that's going through the roof and getting worse. Because of this reason, and aside from the public safety issues, we have hundreds of thousands of people who have already left the state of New York. So we cannot just simply burden New Yorkers with more taxation
8: come next year. Early voting in New York began October 29th, and Election Day is November 8th. This is Ashley Hupful.
0: And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2244. Or just listen online at wamc.org or schedule a podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.